Morning, everybody. Thank you. I appreciate that. As you can see, we are in week three of EGR, this series of messages in which we're exploring practical ways to deal with the difficult people in our lives. Or as we like to say it, we are learning how to give extra grace to the people who need it most. And today, we're going to look at some of the most important and at times some of the most difficult people, and that is our families. There, there's no dysfunction quite like family dysfunction. Am I right? Now, when it comes to family dysfunction, two things you need to understand about family dysfunction one, it's not new, and two, it is not isolated. It's interesting, whenever I talk to people about their families, they always operate on the assumption that their family is crazy and everybody else's family is normal. It's like, my family, you, I know your family, but my family. In fact, we were having dinner last night with a, a couple from our home group. We were talking about stuff going on in our families, and it's like we were throwing down trump cards. Yeah, well, you got this one. I got this in my family or my person, you know, all of that. It's, it's crazy. We have this idea like our family has the market cornered on crazy. But the truth is there's dysfunction in all of our families. Now, obviously, there are different levels of dysfunction within our families, but all of our families have some level of dysfunction. The, the other thing that we need to understand about dysfunctional family relationships is that it's not new. It's been around forever. It's been around as long as there have been families, there has been dysfunction within families. I mean, go all the way back to the first family, right? Adam and Eve. Two sons, Cain and Abel, because of some petty jealousy, one son kills another. That's pretty jacked up, right? Fast forward just a couple of chapters, Father Abraham, right? Father Abraham, the founding father of our faith. He spends most of his life in a codependent relationship with his nephew, Lot. Right? Lot's always getting into trouble, and Abraham's always having to stop what he's doing and go bail out his crazy nephew Lot. Fast forward just a few more chapters. You find Joseph, you know, the guy with the Technicolor dream coat. Joseph, because his father showed favoritism to him, his brothers hated him, decided to kill him. In fact, the only reason that they didn't kill him is they figured out they could make money off of selling him into slavery. In fact, if you've never read the book of Genesis or you've read it, go back and read it again this week. It will make you feel better about your family. But when I look at the Bible and all of the dysfunctional families in the Bible, probably one of the best examples is from David. You know, King David, the hero shepherd boy, killed the giant, became a mighty warrior for the nation of Israel, becomes a great king, a great worship song writer, a man after God's own heart. He is a hero of the faith. But you go behind the closed doors of the palace and you find a family in chaos. And it's not just a murder and adultery that many of us know about, but it's sibling rivalry. In fact, one of his own sons 
tries to overthrow his father and take over the kingdom. Maybe that's why David prayed this prayer in Psalm 101. It's there at the top of your outline. David prays and says, I will try to walk a blameless path, but how I need your help, especially in my own home where I long to act as I should. I, I think most of us have either prayed this prayer or some version of this prayer when it comes to dealing with our families. And so today, as we talk about giving extra grace to our families, dealing with the difficult issues in our family relationships, I want to do something different this morning. Instead of just talking about practical steps, practical things we can do, because that's what we've been doing, right? If you've been here the last two weeks, you know, first week we talked about God's wisdom and applying God's wisdom to our relationships, and it was pretty practical, straightforward stuff. Last week, oh my goodness, so practical about setting boundaries, four things to do to set and keep healthy boundaries. We're talking about all of these steps, and, and these steps, are they're simple, right? When you write them down, they're so obvious, so logical, they're simple to understand. They're just not easy to do, to put them into practice. So today, rather than just giving us more steps to take, I want us to get more strength to help us take those steps, to ask for divine intervention in dealing with our family relationship. So we're going to look at four prayers, four things we need to ask God to do to help us give extra grace to our family. So you ready? Four prayers we need to start praying right now. Number one, I need to pray and ask God to help me learn to accept my limitations, to accept my limitations. We, we all have limitations. But the truth is, most of us have a hard time accepting those limitations, especially when it comes to our family. And here's the reason, this may surprise you, the reason we have a hard time accepting our limitations is not pride. It's not because we're arrogant and think we can do everything. You know what often gets in the way of accepting our limitations? Our faith. Our faith can keep us from accepting our limitations because as Christ followers, we say, well, we've got Jesus in our heart, so therefore we ought to be able to deal with any issue. We ought to be able to manage any problem, and we ought to be able to forgive any hurt because of Jesus. But I want you to look at what the Bible says about who we are and what we can and cannot do as followers of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. Paul says, but we have this treasure in what? What does that say? Jars of clay. Why? To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Now understand, these words were written in the first century to a first century audience. And in the first century mind, when they heard this phrase, jars of clay, they would have immediately thought two things. Two images would come to their mind. One, common, and two, fragile. Because jars of clay, clay pots, clay pitchers, were common in the first century. They used them in every area of their life. 
It's where they kept their water, kept their wine, kept their oil. It's what they cooked in. It's what they eat out of. It's what they, it was a part of their daily life. It was very common. But they would have also immediately thought fragile. Because see, in the first century, they didn't have the technology to bake and glaze and harden their pots. And so they were very breakable. These pots would crack. They would break. They would chip. They were very fragile. In fact, as I thought about in our culture what I could compare jars of clay to, I would say probably the closest thing, paper plates. Right? Paper plates, we got them, we have them all over the place. They can do some things, but they are limited. They can only carry so much weight. You can only use them so many times. And so what Paul is saying to us is, yes, yes, we have God's power. And yes, we have God's presence in our life. And yes, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. But the reality is we have limitations, especially when it comes to our family relationships. And the reason I want you to understand that is there's great freedom that comes from knowing that you cannot fix everybody in your family and you cannot fix every situation in your family. So let me do this. I want to do something that's kind of weird. Stick with me because I think this is going to help you so much. All of our campuses, those of you watching online, it's going to be weird to do this sitting by yourself in front of a computer, but it's okay. Trust me. All right, everybody. Put down your pencils, raise your right hand. Come on, get them up. I see you. I see you, West Campus. I see you, Ridge. I see you, Hookstown. Get them up. Hold them up there. Repeat after me. I do hereby resign of master and controller of my family. Now, don't you feel better? There's freedom in recognizing yes. Yes. Listen, I, I don't believe... Any of us here have a God complex. I don't think that you think you're God, but I think there's a lot of us sitting in here today who have an if-only complex when it comes to our family. If I'd only said this or not said that, then maybe we wouldn't have all this going on. If I'd have just done this or done that, if I'd have just loved them a little bit better, if I would just been a better parent or a better sibling or a better child, if only, if only, if only, we wouldn't be dealing with all of this. Now, yes, we all have areas where we need to grow. We all have things we can do better, but there's only so much we can do when it comes to the people in our family. Not my words, God's words, Romans 12, 18 says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. The clear inference of that verse is, you can only do what you can do. It takes two. You just got to do your part. Yeah, it's healthy. Look at yourself in the mirror. Evaluate what you need to change. But that's a far cry from continuing to beat yourself up over the dysfunction and brokenness and issues of your family. I guess what I'm saying is it's like the serenity prayer. You guys familiar with the serenity prayer? God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. That's what I'm talking about, just asking God to help me see my limitations, because we all have them. It's interesting, this concept that we're talking about, that you can't control other people and you're not responsible. We've talked about that every week in this series. Every week. It's central 
to this dealing with difficult people. And it seems so obvious and clear and logical sitting here. It's not rocket science. This is easy to understand. It's just hard to do. It's easy to fill in the blank and understand it mentally. It's hard to put it into practice with your heart. And so this morning, rather than just talking about knowing we need to do this, let's do what David did. Let's pray and ask God to help us accept our limitations. Just right now, just bow your head, close your eyes. Just right there in the silence of your heart, just talk to God. Ask Him to reveal the limitations that you have in those relationships in your family. And as those things come to mind, ask God to help you discern what's yours and discern what you can't change. And then beg Him to help you accept that reality and find peace in spite of the chaos in your family. Lord, help us to see, to know, to understand, and to accept our limitations when it comes to our families. In Jesus' name, amen. Number two, the second prayer. I need to pray and ask God to help me forgive my family. Ask God to help me forgive my family. Families need massive doses of forgiveness because here's the thing. You can change your friends. You can even change your coworkers if you change jobs. But you are stuck with your family no matter what. Uh, here's the thing. Those of you who've been through a divorce know exactly what I'm talking about. Because even though legally the court has said you are not family, you are still dealing with each other's junk, right? Especially if you have kids. You, you can't change your family, so you've got to figure out how to learn to forgive. Nowhere is forgiveness more needed than within our homes, and yet nowhere is it more difficult to give. You know why? You know why it's so hard to forgive your family? It's easier to forgive strangers than your family? Because nobody can hurt you quite like your family can hurt you. No cuts are as deep as the cuts that come from the people who are supposed to truly love you. There's a deep pain in knowing that the very people who are supposed to love you, protect you, provide for you, defend you, are sometimes the very people who abuse and abandon you. And that is a very deep pain and very difficult to forgive. I know for some of you, right now, thinking about that thing in your family, that pain you carry, you're like, you can't even hardly think about it, let alone think about forgiving that person. You're like, Philip, you're crazy if you think I'm going to forgive that person. And look, I get it. I understand. I, I've not experienced your pain. I don't know what's been done to you, but I know how difficult it is to forgive. I don't know the pain your family has caused you. I do know that you will never get over it until you learn to forgive. You know, I was thinking this week, maybe the reason we have such a hard time forgiving our families when they hurt us is because we misunderstand forgiveness. So let me tell you two facts about forgiveness that I think may help you be able to do the impossible, to forgive your family. One, understand this, forgiveness is not approval. Forgiveness is not approval. Forgiving them is not saying that what they did is okay. 
Forgiveness doesn't mean that they were right and you were wrong. Forgiveness actually has nothing to do with them, but it has everything to do with you and your relationship with God. Notice what the Bible says, Colossians 3.13. Forgive who? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Forgive who? Anyone. I looked this up in the Greek. You know what anyone means? Anyone. Anyone who offends you, even your family. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Circle that phrase, you must. Why would God say that? That we must forgive. Because God's up in heaven keeping score? Because it's a rule that we have to follow in order to, to have God love us? No, I believe the reason we must forgive is because forgiveness is the only way to be free from the pain they've caused you. See, the heart of forgiveness is just releasing to God the pain that someone else caused you. It's not about letting them off the hook. It's about getting yourself off the hook. Those of you who have been around here, Lord knows, how many times have you heard me say, when it comes to the pain of your past, there are only two options. Hold on to it and get bitter, or let go of it and become better. Forgiveness is not approval. It's just not dragging it around with you. Second thing, this is huge. Forgiveness is separate from reconciliation. Forgiveness is separate from reconciliation. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you're going to restore them to a position of trust in your life. Forgiveness is not about resuming the relationship without some changes. You know, last week we're looking at those great words of Jesus from Matthew 18. He's talking about what to do when you've got, you know, tension, hurt, wound, sin in your relationship. If a brother or sister, somebody in your life, somebody in your family has offended you, has sinned against you, go to them one-on-one, point out how they've hurt you. If they respond positively, you've restored that relationship. I want you to go back this week and read the rest of that passage from Matthew 18 because Jesus says if they don't follow that step, take a next step. Take a witness. Take somebody with you. If they don't follow that step, then engage the spiritual authority. There's all of these steps. But the last step is if they don't change, you've got to walk away. You've got to break off. You can't continue to allow them to devastate your life. Some of you won't forgive your family because you think that means you have to continue to be a punching bag for the pain they want to cause you. And the answer is no. Let me give you an illustration that I hope will help you. Let's say today, after the baseball game, you get home this afternoon and you decide to bake some chocolate chip cookies for your family. Wonderful. Made from scratch. Chocolate chunk cookies. And you cook them, you bake them, you let them cool, and then you put them in the cookie jar. And you put the lid on it, and you say, these are for you, but do not eat them until after dinner. They're going to be after dinner. Don't spoil your dinner. Everybody agree? Everybody understand? Yes, ma'am. Then you go in the den, crash on the couch, surfing a little Netflix. Five minutes later, little Johnny comes in with crumbs all over him, chocolate smeared on his face. He's crying. He says, Bobby, I ate a cookie. I know I wasn't supposed to eat a cookie. Please forgive me. Do you forgive little Johnny? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Yeah, but what if five minutes later he comes back in and he's eating a second cookie? I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Do you forgive him again? What if he eats five cookies? What if he eats every cookie in the cookie jar? Do you forgive him? 
Yes, but at some point, you got to move the cookie jar. Some of you won't forgive your family because you don't understand you can move the cookie jar and still love them. In fact, if you don't move the cookie jar, that's not truly love. That's enabling. That is destructive. you got to be able to forgive your family. This is so wild. Right after Jesus gives these great words in Matthew 18 about forgiveness and reconciling and restoring relationships, a few minutes later, Peter comes up, puffed up chest, and says, Jesus, I've been thinking about it, and I just want you to know, I think I ought to forgive my brother seven times. Seven times I'm going to forgive him. Now, Peter was being magnanimous, right? Because according to the Jewish law, you only had to forgive three times. So he doubled it and added one. Like, ain't that so cool, Jesus? I'm going to forgive. And interestingly, he says, I'm going to I'm going to forgive my brother seven times. We read that and we think he's just talking about Christians in general. Maybe he is. But also you got to understand his brother Andrew, one of the disciples, I'm pretty sure they hurt and wounded each other as brothers often do. And he's like, I'm, I'm going to do it seven times. And I love Jesus' answer. Check it out, Matthew 18, 22. No, 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 Peter, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Now before you do the math, and think you only got to forgive your family 490 times, you need to understand, in the Hebrew, numbers had meaning. And the number seven was the number of completeness or wholeness. And so Jesus is saying, not seven times, Peter, however many times he offends you. You got to understand, in Peter's mind, just like ours, it's like Peter going, you know what, Jesus, I really love you. I believe, Jesus, I, if I work hard, if I do my best, if I'm really committed to you, I could stand and jump seven feet. I could do a seven-foot standing broad jump. I, don't you think that's great, Jesus? I'm working hard. I could jump seven feet, and Jesus saying to Peter, that's great, Peter, but I don't need you to jump seven feet. I need you to jump seven miles. Are you crazy, Lord? Nobody. I can't jump seven miles. And Jesus saying, bingo. Now you understand. You cannot do this on your own. But with Jesus, you can. So let's do that. Let's just ask Jesus to help us forgive our family. Just pray. Just ask that right now, right there where you are. Just pray, Lord, help me. I know for some of you just thinking about that pain, there's almost more than you can bear. It's like, Jesus, I can't jump that far. I need your help. Help me. Help me. Forgive my family. In Jesus' name, amen. Number three, third prayer. We need to ask God to help us change our thinking. Ask God to help me change my thinking. Now, this is huge. Here's why. The number one cause of dysfunction within our families is that we get stuck in unhealthy patterns of relating to one another. We keep doing the same things over and over, expecting different results. And that, friends, is the very definition of insanity. The only way to change your family relationships is to change your behaviors. And the only way to change your behaviors is to change the way you think. Look what the Bible says, Romans 12, 2. Let God transform you 
into a new person by changing the way you think. Circle the word you. Because if you're like me, what you've been praying is God changed the way they think. Changed the way they act. Changed the way they behave. What, what I want you to understand is you don't need them to change to restore order in your family. You just need to change the way you react and respond to them. And the only way you'll change the way you react and you respond to them is to change the way you think. Think differently. I understand it's not easy. But this one you don't have to do alone. If you're a Christ follower, you do have God's Spirit in your life to guide you to do what you can't do. Yes, you are a clay jar, but in that jar is a treasure. And that treasure is God's power and presence. He can help you do what you can't do. You also have God's Word. God's Word, the truths and principles in God's Word are life-transforming. They will change the way you think. The more you engage with it, the more time you spend in it, understand it, the more it's going to change your natural reaction and responses to the people around you. And then you got God's family. We talked about this last week. You have people who are separated from the emotion of the issue who can speak wisdom and clarity when you're caught up in a tornado of family chaos. So what do you need to change about the way you think? How do you need to think differently about that parent, that child, that sibling, that person in your family? Why don't we, let's just ask God to help us do that right now. Just pray right where you are. God, help me think differently. Some of you need to ask God to help you think differently about whose approval you need to be fulfilled. Some of you have been running after the approval of people who will never give it, and some of them have been dead and gone for years, and you're still trying to fill that hole with their approval. Some of you need to think differently about the source of the behaviors of the people in your family to recognize that their choices and decisions are theirs. I don't know what needs to change, but I know we need to pray and ask God to help us be transformed by thinking differently. So teach us, show us, give us the courage to think differently about the EGRs in our family. In Jesus' name, amen. Number four, the final prayer, and this might be the most important one of all, I need to ask God to help me accept his love. Ask God to help me accept his love. Because see, I can never truly love my family until I learn how to let God love me. See, one of the reasons there's so much dysfunction in our families is we often expect from our families what only God can do. You have a God-shaped hole in the center of your life. And no man, no woman, no spouse, no parent, no child, no sibling can ever fill that hole. And as long as you keep trying to get them to meet that need that only God can meet, the more mayhem you're going to experience in your family. But here's some good news. When you begin to accept God's love, when you begin to rest in His love, when you begin to fall apart in His love, it becomes easier and easier for you to love your family. 1 John 4, 
It says, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. And notice the result. We love each other because he first loved us. Every relationship in your life, especially your family, is impacted by your understanding of God's love for you. The more you accept it, the more you know it, the more you rely on it, the more secure you become to be able to love the unlovely people that are a part of your family. So let me just ask you a personal question. What is your picture of God's love? I don't want your Sunday school answer. In your mind, in your heart of hearts, in the middle of the night when sleep won't come, and you think about God's love for you, what is it like to you? Because the truth is, most of us see God's love for us through the lens of the families we grew up in, the parents we had. It skews our view, no matter how perfect or imperfect your family was growing up. It impacts your view of what God's love is really like. That's why Jesus said, because our earthly view of God's love is so jacked up by the brokenness in our families, he said, I want you to know what God's love is really like. He said, it's like a wealthy father who had two sons. And the youngest son, in pride and arrogance, took half the family's money, spit in the old man's face, and went and spent every dime of the dad's money doing things that were offensive and disrespectful to the father. And the truth is, it was only when the money ran out, when he'd done all the things he could, that he finally decided, hey, I might need to change my ways. I'm pretty sick and tired of wallowing in this pig slop. Maybe I could go home, ask the old man for forgiveness, and maybe he would let me be a worker on the farm. But Jesus said, you know how the father responded? Standing on the porch, looking down the road every day, waiting for the son to come home. When the son comes home and he sees him cross that hill, he doesn't stand on the porch and cross his hands and say, well, we just see what he has to say. He doesn't say, well, you can come back on a probationary period to see if you're really a changed man. Jesus said, no, the father ran down the road and embraced that pig, stinking, filthy son and said, I love you. Welcome home to the family. That's how God loves you. And until you learn to live in that love, rest in that love, be secure in that love, you'll never have the guts to love the prodigals in your family. That's how God loves you. And I know you may know that intellectually, but if you are not experiencing it personally, if you've never personally received that love, you'll never ever be able to love and live with the family God has placed around you. So I just want to close this morning by giving you a chance to do exactly that. Would you just bow your heads, close your eyes. One final prayer this morning. Maybe you're here today. You've never been in church or you've rarely been in church and you're hearing about God and His love in a way you've never heard it before. If that's you, I know you're not here by accident. God brought you here to say, come home, come home. All you have to do is just like the prodigal son, recognize that doing it your way is not ever going to work. And you just need to turn and receive the Father's forgiveness through the death and resurrection of His Son. 
and just apply that truth to your life and begin to live a transformed life because of that love. Maybe you're here today and, and you're a Christ follower. You've taken that step. You've received that love, but you are living as if God loved you the way that broken, messed up parent or sibling or other family member lived you. You've been looking at God's love through your own performance. You've been looking at God's love through the, the lens of people around you who loved you in a broken way, a using way, an abusive way. And if that's you, God brought you here today to remind you of what His love is really like. Oh, Father, help us. Help us see your love for us and find the freedom that can only be found in that love. In Jesus' name, amen.